On this episode of This Week in Linux, we take a look at some distro news, such as the betas for the various flavors of Ubuntu 18.10, KDE Neon's upgrade to 18.04, and Makulu Linux. We're going to also have a follow-up for the Code of Conduct controversy, such as the news around the potential kill switch. Then we'll look at the latest app releases from ARIO, OpenShot, and NotesUp. Later in the show, we'll take a look at the latest version of YubiKey and System76 Teaser for their new open-source desktop computer. Then we'll finish up the show with some security news and a Linux gaming roundup. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by... Uh, well, no one. There's not a sponsorship for this particular episode, but uh, there is Patreon. So if you'd like to contribute to the Tux Digital Patreon, you can do so by going to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. If you're not aware, Patreon is a way for, is a platform and service that allows people to contribute directly to the creators they enjoy the content from. And you can help them out like much more than like ads from YouTube or whatever. So if you would like to contribute to the Tux Digital Patreon, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. Up first in the show this week is Ubuntu 18.10 Beta has been made available, uh, including the regular Ubuntu for the Ubuntu proper and also the Ubuntu flavors. Uh, pretty much all of them are included. I think all of them are included. I didn't check every single one of them, but I'm pretty sure they all are. Now, this next one of 18, Ubuntu 18.10 comes is the codename Cosmic Cuttlefish. Then it's going to be released in full for October 18th later this month. The next release of 18.10 comes with some interesting features, especially the faster install time thanks to the Z standard or ZSTD uh, compression algorithm, which is an algorithm created by Facebook. We'll get to them later in the show. But this one's an open source algorithm, so of all the terrible things they do, this one's actually pretty good. It's going to also come with Linux kernel 4.18, which comes with a lot of performance updates and hardware improvements. And it's going to have some new theming stuff with the Yaru theme, which will be replacing Ambiance for GTK. And it's going to have a new icon set, which is based on the Suru theme. I think it's also called Yaru, or it might be just called Suru. I'm not sure if they renamed it or not. But it's based on the Suru theme from the uh, Ubuntu Touch uh, project. And they've also said they're going to update to GNOME 3.30, which is, you know, that's nice. And they're going to be keeping, though, the Nautilus 3.26 version of the file manager because the future, the version after that is when they remove desktop icons for no reason. So they're going to keep it because Ubuntu also agrees that desktop icons are what people want. And, you know, there you go. Also, uh, they're, the Kubuntu, Zubuntu, Lubuntu, and Ubuntu Mate, uh, there's going to be a lot of there's updates for that. Now, most of these, like for example, most of these are iterative improvements to the distros, like overall, like performance and and like just usability and stuff like that. So that's what's happening for Ubuntu Budgie and Ubuntu Mate, and pretty much the same thing for the Kubuntu. Like they're updating their, like which version of the de the desktop environment they're using and things like that. Now there are a couple that are getting some interesting updates as well, and that's Zubuntu 18.10, which will be updating to XFCE. 4.13 in some cases. So like 4.14 is not out yet and it will probably come out next year, although it might come out the end of this year, depends. But they are going to go ahead and include 4.13 uh, versions of different packages and stuff like that inside of the 
um, that is Ubuntu 18.10. Now, also, Lubuntu has 18.10 massive differences. There's a bunch of changes for this one. Now, the biggest one is obviously they're going to be switching to LXQt. So instead of LXDE, they're going to be using LXQt, and a lot of changes are coming with that particular change. They're changing the file manager for to now PCManFM-QT or Qt. And also they're going to be using the Calamari installer instead of the traditional Ubiquity installer. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out for them. But there's also one thing I wanted to note for this particular release is that Lubuntu is one of the few Ubuntu flavors that will still have a 32-bit ISO provided for the distro. However, they have said that it's in danger of not existing because they need help testing. And without people to test it, they can't release it because it wouldn't be a good idea to release an untested distribution. So they're asking for help with you know various people. If, you're, if you have an i3086 machine that you want to use it with, then they would like for you to test their ISOs that they have released for the, the beta releases. So if you want them to continue to do 32-bit, then you should definitely you know, try to help out in this particular area. I'll have a link to both uh, the post for Ubuntu 18.10 and all the flavors, as well as the link for helping out with the Ubuntu, the Lubuntu testing in the show notes. Up next in the show is the distro, or technically not a distro, distro news, and that is Katie Neon has been rebased on Ubuntu 18.04. Jonathan Riddell has announced the official release and availability of Katie Neon based on 18.04, the LTS version, of course, but the if you're wondering about the 1810, there will not be an 1810 version because Neon releases every two years based on the new LTS core. So the next time there will be an update for Neon, at least, well, not an update, but a recore, recoring, well, rebasing of the core makes more sense anyway. That will be in 2004. So currently, the latest drivers and latest software will be available with the new kernel. However, the I'm not sure if the kernel will be continuously updated or not because the previous version I'm pretty sure it didn't. It might it might be now, I'm not sure. Because of the hardware enablement stack that Ubuntu has, you can get a later version of the kernel, but I'm not sure if Neon has adopted that or not. Uh, I'll have to like look into that and let you know in a future episode. But anyway, it means that the latest version of Plasma, KD Plasma, will be available for Neon users on top of an 1804 base. So that is pretty cool. So KD Neon and Kubuntu are both currently using the 18.04 base. Uh, Kubuntu will be releasing 18.10 very shortly. So you might be wondering whether you should be using KDE Neon or Kubuntu. And there's some different, uh, the way it's function, the way they function is very different. So for example, um, KDE Neon will always be 18.04 until 20.04 exactly. You know, you know, I already said that. But anyway. Kubuntu ups, makes a new version every six months. So the core of Kubuntu is always updated, whereas the core of Neon is rarely updated, every two years. But the the, the KDE technology or the KDE stack sitting on top is updated more often in Neon, whereas it's updated every six months with the rest of the core in Kubuntu. So it's more of a, it's a more of an interesting approach because they both have they both have the same basic core and the and the same uh, desktop environment sitting on top and basically the same stack sitting on top but the difference is the amount of time or the, the just really the release cycle so if you want to use a stable release 
that you can just depend on and not to worry about upgrading like big core elements, then that would probably be Kubuntu 18.04. And you know, you could just stick to that rather than going to 18.10 or anything like that. You could just stick to 18.04 and that way you don't have to worry about anything changing or like big things changing that much. However, if you want to get the latest version of Plasma, you would have to update to Kubuntu 18.10 or the every six months for that. Or you can use the KDE Neon release, allowing you to get the latest version of Plasma while still staying on 18.04. So there's kind of an interesting thing. So whether you, if you want the latest version of Plasma and you don't want to update your entire system, then that would probably be KDE Neon. But if you want a stable system that doesn't change that much at all and just has the, a, you know, it's a good out-of-the-box experience, then that would be Kubuntu 18.04. So it depends on what you're looking for of which one you should use. Personally, I use both of them because I, I can't decide. <laughs> Up next in the show is Makulu Linux. There's a new release for Makulu called Lindos. Well, actually, that's more of a branch, but well, we'll get to it in a second. But the Series 15 has been released for Makulu Linux. And this is consisting of three separate distros that will be released soon. Now, first is Lindos. That has been released, and well, it's available now. Uh, Flash is a second, the second distro that Makulu is making. That will be released at the end of October. And then the Makulu Core will debut between the end of November and mid-December. We don't really know exactly right now, but that's roughly where it's going to be. Now, these are two different distributions, or no, Two. These are three different distributions, not desktop environment offerings kind of thing. Because a lot of the time you'll see like different respins that have different offerings. This is a like completely different distributions. Um, I'm not really sure how they're structuring it exactly yet, and we won't know until they release all three of them. But at the moment, they're all different independent distros. What's what's really interesting about this release is that they're saying that it's no longer based on Ubuntu or Debian, and that it's going to be its own rebased independent distro essentially these all these different distros are be on the same the same base but they're all independent base i'm not really sure how this is going to work because they they say the new base is not debian but it is compatible with debian because they use debian packages as part of their repository so i'm not really sure how that works but it'd be interesting to see you know when the, when they get all these three versions re like released i'll try give them a try now in the screen, you'll on the video version, you'll see that there's three screenshots of the different distros. In the bottom right is the Lindos, or L-I-N-D-O-Z, the Lindos version, which is using the Cinnamon desktop. And the top right is the Flash version, which is using the XFCE desktop. And the core version is in the bottom left, which uses a dock-based desktop environment with an interesting circular wheel menu. So I definitely want to give that one a try because that's that's an interesting concept. Um, but the Makulu Linux Lindos is the only one that's currently available. So if you want to give that a shot, that is the Lindos Series 15 version. Now, I, I do hope they put some more effort into the theming of the designs for these versions because, I mean, let's face it, they look kind of dated and uh, they don't really mesh that well. They look, you, you, should, you should probably look into some themes is all I'm saying. Uh, if you would like to check out Makula Linux, you can find a link to those, like, well, at least the first one, Lindos, in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Linus has done an interview, like a brief uh, written interview with BBC. And in this, the article is posted is titled, I'll never be cuddly, but I can be more polite. 
it's an it's a really interesting article if you haven't se- if you haven't seen it yet. So I'll have that link in the show notes. But there's a couple things I wanted to just point out that he said that is basically kind of like um, explaining what their what the intent was for the code of conduct, as well as you know his opinion about what what is or what is not going to happen with the future of the colonel. And essentially, he's saying that there's really nothing that's going to change other than the it's going to be more polite and kind but the code itself is still the most important piece of the of the project so there's there's nothing whether it's uh, you know I'll just give you just quote that he says from this article so he says he has to will everybody be happy with this change no people who don't like my blunt behavior even when I'm not being actively nasty about it will just see this as look nothing changed I'm trying to get rid of my outburst and be more polite about things, but technically wrong is still technically wrong. I won't exp- I won't start accepting bad code just to make people feel better about themselves. So he's still very blunt and you know somewhat po- probably will be somewhat abrasive, but he was he's pulling back the you know some of the uh, toxicity of it, which I think is a great thing. I I applaud Lin- Linus for taking this stand and. You know the technicality of the or the technical aspects of the code is still the most important thing, but there are some things where you can go too far, and I think it's very it's very good that there, he's taking this uh, this this break. If you want to read the article yourself, you can find a link in the show notes. The next topic on the show is the Linux developers threaten kill switch. Uh, this is a claim made by the lulz.com website. And they're saying that Linux developers are threatening to pull a kill switch. Now, this is not true. One, it's not being threatened by anyone, especially not developers. But it's also uh, not really even possible. So we'll get into the details in a second. So the article is claiming that they're that the developers are trying to do a kill switch. But as of the recording, no one has threatened that at all. In fact, the person who submitted it to the mailing list is not a developer of the Linux kernel. And in fact, claims to be a lawyer... However, no one has ever seen this person post to the mailing list before, and they're using an anonymous email service, so they don't really have much, you know, clout at all to be in this, you know, in this statement. So, what they're, however, what they're saying is this: this is part of what they said in their post. Contributors can at any time rescind the license grant, granted regarding their proprietary or property, written via written notice to those whom they are rescinding the grant from regarding the property or code. This is not true because of the way that the, the, the GPL works. But uh, ESR has said, or Eric S. Raymond, if you don't know who that is, said that the license revocation threat has teeth. I disagree with that. It doesn't really. So let's get into more specifics. Now here's the reason why some people think that it does have teeth. They're saying that the Linux kernel is licensed under GPL2. Under normal circumstances, what this license entails is that the code can be freely copied and distributed. But the thing is, that becomes confusing, is that what whoever authored the code still owns the actual copyright for the code they contributed. Some projects under the GPL, like Emacs, have, st- have a different kind of policy where they have, when you submit code, you are offering the control over the copyright to the People, you know, the, the basically the project themselves. So you are handing over the copyright of your code. Now, the version, the GPL version three, does have a clause about the rescinding of code that the version two doesn't have. So there's some people saying that this is why the argument is there 
is because uh, a lawyer could make an argument that the clause was created by the Free Software Foundation, and therefore there could be a possibility of rescinding that code. Now, the reason why it's not really a thing is because of the promissory estoppel law, like structure. So essentially what this is, is that when you when you release something as a particular license that guarantees certain rights and freedoms, such as what the GPL does, you are guaranteeing a right to modify and to use and to distribute. So because of the freedoms and the rights that are being granted both to the developers and the users of that particular software, when you try to revoke the, that, that license, you are violating the rights that you have given to them. So uh, the license that GPL uh, offers is only revocable if the person using that license has violated it. Now, you can, as a developer, you can relicense your code, and you can, in the future, change your code to not be GPL'd. But you can't re retroactively change that. It will still be GPL'd and therefore still be acceptable to anyone. So if they decided to, hey, you can't use my code, and they'll do like a request or like a pull request or a commit to get it removed, even if they did the project and said, okay, yeah, you can remove it, and then we'll just add it right back because it's GPL code, because they use the GPL, and then because they created the rights both for developers and users, it basically means that they cannot revoke it once they have committed it to the project and the project has accepted it. Because once that, that depending on even depending on what it is, you could say it could be like a, a, a catastrophic thing depending on who tries to remove the code. So it would automatically make uh, de de be detrimental to the project itself and therefore not going to be, uh, you know, not going to be accepted in court. So if, the, if it were to ever go to court, it's very unlikely that this would ever exceed. Let's do some less controversial news with some uh, app news. First up is, I have no idea how to say it, Ario. Well, however it is, this is a desktop app written in Electron for SoundCloud. This is really interesting because a lot of people, if you ever use SoundCloud, you'll notice that it's not very easy to discover new songs or new artists and things like that, and it's it's sometimes pretty awkward to use SoundCloud. However, this is a pretty interesting app because it makes it more like a music player using the SoundCloud uh, service and platform. So this this application has features like charts. Uh, if you log in, you can use like you can save your playlists and tracks for later. You can do searching and dis for discoverability, and it has built-in integration for like uh, desktop integration with your media keys and things like that. And it also has a downloader tool, but the downloader is limited to what is available by the like whoever uploads it decides whether it's available to download. So the downloader uh, ap applies those rules. Now, if you are interested in trying it out, you can actually try uh, the. They have traditional packages, but like devs and RPMs, but they also have snap packages and app images. So if you'd like to try those out, then they made it really easy to give it a shot without having to like worry about you know modifying your core system or anything. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I really like to see snaps and app images used uh, and flat packs, of course, used you know when any any time I can. So it's really cool. So if you are interested in a desktop app for SoundCloud, give this a shot, and I'll have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show, OpenShot has released 2.4.3, and this comes with a lot of new features. A couple are pretty interesting. Um, one of the one of the main ones is they've added some new video presets for Instagram and Twitter. Now you might be thinking, who cares? Well, 
it's kind of weird that Instagram does require square videos. So, well, they don't require it, but they suggest it. So that's if that's what they're doing with the presets, that's a good idea because it can make it easier to output a video for Instagram when you or after you're editing, you're done editing. So that's pretty cool. One the thing I like the most is absolutely the new animated video masking. Now, if you've never heard of this, animated video masking is essentially creating one video uh, transitioning to another video, but having something covering that that's masking out the content. That's a weird way to say it. It's hard to describe, really. A lot, a lot of other things they did was add some uh, improvement to the title file name duplication. They've added uh, fixes for zooming and uh, the undo and redo aspects and stuff like that, and a lot of other performance benefits as well. So uh, that's pretty cool that they've added some nice animation, like these uh, these masking tools, because this is a really powerful tool, and OpenShot's not really known for being a a powerful editor, so it's really nice to see them adding stuff like this. So if you'd like to find a link to the full release notes, you'll find those in the show notes. Up next in the show is Notes Up. Notes Up is a notes app for elementary OS. Write beautiful notes fast and easy using Markdown. That's their description. The features that they have are pretty cool. They have it's a markdown editor. However, it's kind of interesting how they do it a view and edit mode. So you have in some markdown editors will have them like side by side. This is more of like you either see it in the view mode or in the edit mode. Um, some people might like that. Some might not. Uh, they they might in the future add both. I'm not sure if you can if you can click both of them, but I haven't tested that, so I don't have elementary, so I can't test it at the moment. However, it does look like an interesting notes app, and it does look quite good. So I am curious if um, if you have used it, let me know in the comments below. But it's it's got some cool features. So it's got multiple notebook support, and also you can export to PDFs, as well as having syntax highlighting and things like that. You can even like insert images if you want to. Now. As I said, this is made for elementary, so if it's not really packaged for anything else, they won't. They, it's only officially been packaged for elementary. However, there are some packages for OpenSUSE and Arch if you'd like to try it that way, or you could use the PPA. But the PPA does include uh, Elementary's Granite library, so it's possible that you might have to install some extra dependencies in order to make Notes Up work for your system. So if you do want to try it, just keep that in mind. Uh, and if you do try it, let me know what you think about it in the comments below. YubiKey 5 has been released. Now, the YubiKey is one of the most popular uh, tools for having a hardware authentication system. And it's been around for quite a while. And what we talked about last week, Purism announced their Librem key. Now, the Librem key is, is a brand new key based on the Nitro key, but the YubiKey is the... Um, is, is the, well, specifically, the YubiKey 5 is an interesting um, piece of hardware because it is now support. It's like they, they say it's the first multi protocol uh, system or multi protocol security key, and it supports FIDO2 and web authentication. It also has NFC compatibility, which is really cool because they, they basically took their previous versions of the YubiKey, like multiple different YubiKeys, and like essentially consolidate them together to make one new YubiKey. I mean, they have different sizes, and like they have the YubiKey Nano and stuff like that, but it's all basically the same technology. It's a really cool um, idea that they have all these things added together. And the NFC is really cool because it allows you to use a YubiKey for unlocking uh, applications or your phone itself. So you can have it where instead of just using your phone as a two-factor, you can use the YubiKey as a two-factor for your phone. Pretty, pretty cool. 
If you're interested, you can find a link in the show notes for the late, the press release for the YubiKey 5. The YubiKey is 40, starts at 45. They go up to the same. There is a $60 version, but they go up to they start at 45. So if you want to get the cheaper one, YubiKey might be a better option as far as cost goes. However, I would like to point out that the Librem key is an open source key, as well as the Nitro key are both open source, and the the YubiKey is no longer open. So keep that in mind. But you'll find a link to those in the show note. System76 has announced they're making a new open source computer. They haven't really announced the specs or anything really specific about it, but it's an open hardware desktop, which is really cool. So they showed it off at the Open Hardware Summit of this for this year, which was just a couple days ago, but we don't really have any photos or anything like that yet for it. But they did say that pre-orders will be available sometime in October. They haven't really said when. But also to be more clear that the when they say, when I say it's going to be available in October, I'm referring to just the pre-orders. They haven't really said at all when it will be available to actually ship. So it might be shipping this year, or well, it's probably not going to ship this year based on the fact that they're doing a pre-order. But who knows? It might. And anyway, it's pretty cool. They've they've even done an interesting camp like marketing campaign. So System76 has some interesting campaigns they do for their uh, releases. Like the the Oryx Pro had like a movie cinematic trailer type thing. And this one's an animated movie through a story, Journey to Thaleo. And Thaleo is the name of the new desktop. So it's an interesting thing because if you look at the 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 way they describe the story is they say it's an anim it's animated videos following the journey of two characters, Zoe, the Pop! OS installer bot for System76 computers, and Tenzin, an engineer. Wait, isn't Tenzin the name of the guy from the Legend of Korra? Anyway, um, Tenzin travels through a dark corner of the universe called the Thalio System to find the origins of Zoe's damage in order to repair her. And that's kind of an interesting thing because they're talking about Thaleo is the name of the desktop that they're releasing, and the story behind it is that Thaleo has a is a dark corner of the universe where the installer was damaged. Okay, you say so. Anyway, I look forward to it in general because uh, an open hardware desktop is something I've been looking forward to in a very for a very long time. So I'm definitely interested. But that that's an interesting marketing technique. Up next in the show is some Linux, Microsoft-ish news. A couple topics, actually. And what, the first one is that Linux now dominates Azure. Well, technically not dominates, but that's what it says in the article. It's being used more, essentially, is what it means. But Azure is Microsoft's cloud platform, if you haven't heard of that. So Microsoft provides uh, enterprise-level cloud services, and they call it Azure as the platform. And for the most part, it started with being a Windows-based platform, but Linux was offered because companies were asking to use it on the platform, so they added Linux to usage. And now, year by year, Linux becomes is becoming more and more used on the Azure platform, which I think is fantastic. So Scott Guthrie, Microsoft Executive Vice President of the Cloud Enterprise Group, said in an interview, it's about half now of usage for um for the amount of Linux being used. So it says that it varies on day to day because of a lot of workloads are elastic so they change quite often. But sometimes slightly over half of Azure VMs are Linux. And now Microsoft later clarified uh, that they're about half of them are Linux. Not 
slightly over half. They had to specify that Linux is not dominating in their own product on their own platform, but it is, and that's fantastic. And it will probably do so even more in the future. It's pretty much, you know, inevitable at this point. But I think this is fantastic. And they also said that you know they were they were kind of uh, trying to dismiss it a little bit. But they say, you know, native Azure services are often running on Linux. Microsoft is building more of these services. For example, Azure's software-defined network is based on Linux, which is true. But it also shows that Linux is becoming more important to even Microsoft, which I'm amused by that. WLinux is a Linux distribution for Windows 10. This is not made by Microsoft, but it is interesting that you can get a Linux distro for purposely made for Windows 10. So we talked about Windows getting a GUI-based version of Ubuntu available earlier, and now it seems that they have their very own distro. Now, Microsoft itself is not making this particular thing, um, but it is still pretty interesting that this is happening because there, there was already the work with the WSL, or the Windows subsystem for Linux, and now there's going to be an actual full distro made specifically for Windows 10 using the WSL. Earlier in the show, we mentioned that I would get back to Facebook because there was some news for them. And it's not very good news. So I'm glad they made the compression algorithm because it's pretty good, but this is not good at all. So recently, Facebook had a breach. And yeah, it gets even worse than that. But let's talk about the breach first. So Facebook confessed yesterday that the buggy code potentially exposed that they found was potentially exposed users' accounts to hackers for over the past 14 months. They also think that it's been at least 50 million people have been affected by this so that, that the hackers could get access to their private profiles, and perhaps as much as 90 million people. This is not really surprising considering Facebook's motto has been move fast and break things. That's a stupid motto. I'm sorry, but that's a terrible, terrible company motto. Probably one of the worst. But anyway, there's that. So it gets worse. They also have been found to monetize your two-factor authentication data. So for example, what they're doing, they're not they're not selling the the data, but in order to do two-factor authentication with your with Facebook your your Facebook account, you have to give them your phone number. So your phone number has been used for ads. Now they haven't been selling your number specifically, but they have been using it to target you and where you are. So having your phone number also gives you like an area code which can kind of narrow down where you are and things like that, and they have been using that data for advertisers. Now, you may be thinking, I've never given them my number, so I shouldn't have to care about this. Well, maybe you haven't, but your less privacy-conscious friends probably did. The, here's an example of what could happen. So if user A, we'll call that person Steve, shares the shares their contacts with Facebook, including a previously unknown phone number from user B, who we can call Sarah, the advertisers will be able to target Sarah by using an ad that they got from that number because they can use that as like a shadow contact information. So that they can associate the data they have for Sarah and associate that phone number to her that Steve accidentally gave them even though Sarah never gave the number at all. It creates a problem where it's basically the fact that there's 2 billion people who use Facebook. The percentage of the likelihood that your number, whether you gave it to Facebook or not, they probably have it. It's like a 99% likelihood that they do have it. 
I mean, they might not have exactly who you are associated to the number, but it is a very high chance that they do have your number. And uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. So if your friend or your parents or family members or whatever use the Facebook app and did the whole, would you like to connect your the Facebook Messenger to your contacts? Which, no, I don't. But they might have, and they might have given your number to them. So, yeah, there's that. And finally this week is some Linux gaming news. So I'm going to do a roundup this time. So there's there's quite a few things I want to talk about, but they all are not really, there's not a lot of information for each one of these things that to have them all separate. So I decided to make a roundup instead. Now, first up is Play on Linux 5.0 Alpha has been released. And the reason I didn't put this in its own thing because it's an alpha and there's there's a lot of things that can be changed you know, in the future. So this is a massive redesign for their UI, which is pretty cool because I think this is a lot better than the way it used to look. And it is a lot more, you know, user friendly and things like that. So they've they've changed they've redesigned the user interface as well as the user experience for it. And they've also created a new platform called Phonesis. Phonesis? Phonesis. I'm gonna go with that. Phonesis is what it's called. Probably not, but I'm gonna go with that anyway. Anyway, the Phonesis platform is a decentralized Git-based platform that improves the script engine for play on Linux. So that's really cool. I look forward to trying this out when they get, you know, more stable versions out. Next up is Mark of the Ninja Remastered. So Mark of the Ninja has been around for a couple years now, and this new version is a completely remastered version with improved graphics up to 4K. They've also got better background and character art, as well as 5.1 surround sound support. This is really cool because I'm actually a pretty big fan of this game. Mark of the Ninja, I beat this game a long time ago. I played it ridiculous amount of hours, and I think it's quite fun. I've even gone back and played it multiple times because it's a, it's a fun game. And the story is pretty interesting, too. So at launch, this game will be $19.99, but if you wanted to pre-order it now, you get 15% off, so it's $16.99. However, if you already purchased this game, and you have the special edition DLC, then you'll get this game for free. If you don't have the DLC and you just have the original game, then you can get an upgraded remastered version for $4.99. So it's a pretty good deal, and I'm I'm glad to see that there the people who already have like most of what's in this new remastered version will get the game for free. So that's pretty cool. It will be uh, released on October 9th. So if you're interested, you know you can feel feel free to check out the link in the show notes. But I am a big fan of this game. There's also a couple more games I want to talk about. And the next one is Blade Symphony. That's a fun name for a game in general. But So Blade Symphony is a, a sword fighting game from Puny Human. This game is powered by the Source Engine from uh, Counter-Strike or you know Valve. And they, it's also free to play right now on Steam. Now, unfortunately, it's not a full free to play game. It's only for the, the current weekend. So if you're watching the game, this, this live, or you follow the channel on Twitter or Mastodon, you'll you have seen the be able, you'll be able to play this game this weekend for free. Otherwise, uh, when this show comes out, it will no longer be free, but it won't be very expensive. I think it's like five dollars. I think is what it is. But right now, it's on like sale for eighty percent off too. So, if you are uh, only watching the show after the fact and miss this potential uh, option to play it free or get the sale, then 
feel free to follow the account, the, the show on Twitter or on Mastodon so you can get notified when stuff like this happens. Now, also, on the, the last game I want to talk about is, I'm not really sure how to say it. It's R-U-M-U, Rumu, Rumu, not, anyway. It, this is an interesting concept for a game just in general, so I wanted to cover it. It's a narrative adventure about a sentient robot cleaner, like a Roomba sort of thing. Anyway, this game allows you to help a robot vacuum cleaner solve moral dilemmas in its journey to self-awareness. <laughs> that's just that's just weird to say, but that's a fun idea for a game, so I actually look forward to trying this out. If you want to find out more about this this game and the rest of the games, you can find links to the articles for these particular games at gamingonlinux.com. And thanks to them for you know keeping us up to date for all the great gaming news. So if you're interested, you can find a link to all that in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways you can contribute by PayPal, Patreon, and others. And you can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux canoes each week. The episodes are usually scheduled in different times, but always on a Saturday. Um, you can actually find out what the scheduled time is for that particular week by going to tuxdigital.com slash thisweekinlinux. And when you scroll down, you'll see the live schedule time, as well as a time zone, or time zone converter to find out what it is in your local area. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.